You're listening to the Crowdfunding Nerds Podcast, a podcast that will help you succeed before, during, and after your crowdfunding event. And now, here is your host, Andrew Lowen. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another awesome episode of Crowdfunding Nerds. I am your host, Andrew Lowen, and I am joined by Sean and not Rick today because it's too early, I think. <laughs> All right, well, let's get into the nerd news. And now it's time for Nerd News. I have uh, an article here from the Washington Post that uh, talks about uh, well, the the headline says we're in an in a golden age of board games. It might be here to stay. And this was published on December 24th. So by the time everyone hears this, it's going to be the new year. Happy new year, everybody. And whenever a mainstream news outlet writes a big article like this about board games, it is, I think, a pretty big deal because it, it's really meaningful. You know, you have a, a lot of people who've commented on it. It's a pretty significantly long article and it's about um, the... Uh, uh, well, it, it references a lot of hobby games instead of, you know, Monopoly and, and other things like that. It's a very well-researched, well-written article. It features people like Elon Lee from uh, Exploding Kittens, talks, uh, you know, Rodney Smith from Watch It Played, a lot of other names. It, it references Wingspan as the um, one of the best-selling games on Amazon, and uh, you've got the Shut Up and Sit Down podcast. And, and really what it's about is... It's about we're now moving beyond Monopoly and Candyland and into more hardcore hobby games. And, you know, it's, it talks about how there's this shift happening, which is which is really cool. But uh, there are numbers that they reference in it as well. It says, you know, I'll just quote from the article. The global board game market has an estimated value between 11 billion and 13.4 billion dollars. And is projected to grow by about 7 to 11% within the next five years. Year-to-date board game sales last month compared to the same period in 2019, this is before the pandemic, increased by 28%. Card games are up 29% and, and strategic card games such as Pokemon and Magic Gathering are up 208%. There are a lot of, yeah, and it references Kickstarter. The crowdfunding platform Kickstarter has made it easier than ever for unknown designers to release games. Over 3,000 new games are released each year, according to the website and online forum BoardGameGeek, and it goes on. But I, I find that it will, so I, I mentioned that I think this is really great for the, you know, just for coverage, but also, you know, mainstream, uh, it, it, it makes sense to me that it would be a worthy subject to cover. Uh, what do you think, yeah. Sean? Yeah, I think things like this, it's going to bring board games into people's radar again, and then it almost becomes like a self-fulfilling prophecy. <laughs> board games are going to increase. Well, you've just written this massive article about board games. It's probably going to get more people into the, the space and then they're going to get more, more people into the space. And I think what's, what's interesting about board games is that I think what that article mentions is that there's a, a, a game ready for everyone. You know, you can find, you can find it. <laughs> you know, there's a game about making blankets or whatever. Um, what I found interesting about the article as well is that it focused on the themes of games, which is very interesting. I don't know if you picked that up, but no, no way did it say this is a worker placement game or this game is blah, 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 blah. I was like, no, it was very much, it was emphasizing the themes of the games, which is what we've noticed in marketing games as well, is that people are already drawn in by the theme and what you're sort of doing in the world of the games opening up. So I think that's a helpful perspective from a marketer is like here you have, I suppose, a normie working for the Washington Post, writing an article on this subculture, focusing on the themes of games. So that's obviously what 
drew the writer to those topics and those games. And so it's, it's a helpful perspective to consider. Absolutely. I think that, you know, it's something that we kind of discovered in our marketing is that the theme really kind of moves the needle for the right people. And I find that it's a great launching point for, uh, to dive deeper in, you know, when, if I like the theme, then I'll be more interested to learn about how the actual game works. Is it cooperative? Is it competitive? Is, you know, um, what are the actual mechanical interactions? And before that, it's kind of like, I, I don't really care. And I find that when I explain, so, you know, as a game designer, when I explain deliverance to somebody, I actually played with my parents this weekend, which was uh, a real shock that they enjoyed it so much. Uh, they play, the only game they play is Wordle. Um, and I, <laughs> their first hobby game was deliverance. So they, they had a good time was shocking to me and that we actually made it through a game and, and won. The first thing that is, is really the most important to explain to someone when you're teaching is who am I, how do I win and why should I, why do I care that, that I win? Right. And, um, I think that the theme is really core to that, you know, to unlocking their interest in, in all of the other parts of the game. So I, I definitely appreciated that they went all, all into theme and it just kind of confirms from a marketing perspective that, um, to lean further into themes, um, because they matter, you know, I think that's one of the problems that I have with games that, that come to us with a, a very light theme or a, a very abstract theme. It's kind of hard to get people to envision what it is they're doing when you're, you know, even something like uh, the, the game references patchwork, which is a game about making a quilt. Uh, it's that would, that would not work on Kickstarter. It wouldn't be very successful on Kickstarter, even though it's an extremely successful game on Kickstarter, you really have to explain leading with the theme first. And um, something like that, that's much more abstract is just not, I just feel like it's it's not as easy to market, not nearly as easy to market. So we have GameFound that has also released some changes. We've covered them previously, but ones that sort of stick out here is a ability to manage communications with certain publishers on GameFound. So I'm sure as time goes on, you're going to have a lot of people that are going to be sending you emails from GameFound if you've backed a lot of things. So you now have an option to turn off email notifications. You can sort of select which ones you want. Do you want just general communications updates? And I think this is going to be, they, they've, they said that they're going to narrow in on, on this to really hone in the, the communications. I, I still don't think that email communications is GameFound's strong suit. And I don't know if they should really be investing too much time in developing this simply because there's other systems that do this better like MailChimp, where you can segment your audiences, you can resend, you can have automated messages and journeys. So I think like the, the communicating with backers, I don't know if GameFound is going to be a replacement to that. So I think this is interesting. And in one way it's, it's sort of, it's harder because, well, how many followers do you have? How many of them have turned off your notifications? You know, it's mm-hmm. going to be harder to know how valuable that kind of following on GameFound is if people are able to turn off the notifications or email updates that you're sending them. You also don't ha- you also don't capture their emails, right? So that's one of the disadvantages, at least with something like Substack, where you d- do capture people's emails and you know they're yours. 
would be great if GameFound did that. Like you actually capture the email of the person who has submitted their information, but we'll see. Yeah, I, I definitely see it as just a way to try to keep up with Kickstarter, but functionally, if they make it really easy for people to turn off communication, I agree with you that it's a little bit, um, it's a, a negative. You know, there's a reason that every company in the world makes it really, really hard to find the cancel button or the turn off communication buttons because they want people to receive their communication. And the natural inclination of a, of a user is to minimize the number of times they're advertised to. So from the perspective of a marketer, I, you know, it just seems quite easy to turn off uh, communication. And I understand that, you know, people should absolutely be able to turn off communication for projects that post too much or, you know, that annoy them. But um, it would be nice if they added an option to maybe uh, snooze communication for a month or something like that. It's like, you know, if you are getting, you know, if it's a big CMON Kickstarter campaign and you get 10 updates on day one and, you know, nine updates on day two and that kind of thing, that is just too much to read. So I would like the ability to snooze for a week or a month for projects that, uh, you know, that do things like that. Um, but just, I guess, just an idea for GameFound if you're listening. So <laughs> they also introduced campaign cancellations, which... Um, so I'm surprised you know, I didn't have already. <laughs> yeah, I thought I figured they would just have something like that. They had that, so this I guess they expected like... every project to succeed. Yeah, <laughs> but I've seen. Uh, I think I've seen projects canceled. So maybe they didn't reach their funding goal, but I don't know if projects got canceled early. And I guess with this news, maybe they never did. Cool. But, Wasn't there um, that big, big one that like they canceled the campaign and then they closed the company? Uh, that was uh, Kingdom Come Deliverance. Yes, yeah. And they funded, and you're right, I think that was on GameFound. So I bet, sure I bet it's something that they, they had to message privately or something like that. Oh, so yeah. Then uh, for me, there was one more element that seemed to be really probably the biggest news from this article was the VAT reverse charge. For campaigns with EU tax handling enabled, it is now possible for backers to apply VAT reverse charge. Now, this is... A foreign language uh, to me, but we were discussing this before the podcast, and it it seems that the EU and the UK are just nightmare to navigate as a creator to ship product in into the EU. It's such a pain. You have to have so much, you know, you have to have a, a VAT number, you have to have insurance, you have to have somebody within that region that can be responsible for you paying your your. VAT, which is taxes, value-added taxes. And it seems, and, and to collect the proper amount. And, um, otherwise, your backers are going to have to pay those things in order to pick their packages up. And that makes them mad. So if you want to keep selling into the EU, I think that GameFound is going to be your absolute top choice of a, uh, a pledge manager, or of a, not a pledge manager, but a crowdfunding platform. Because it seems to me that they are working actively to make that difficult job a lot easier. Which makes sense because they're based in Europe. Yeah. And they yeah, have a lot of experience navigating that and the, yep. the difficulties of European bureaucracy. So I think yeah. it, it is a good advantage that, that they are spearheading this section of the industry. 
they could easily cement themselves as the number one pledge manager for uh, EU and UK, or not just pledge manager, sorry, crowdfunding platform. If they continue down this path, there are, I mean, they can use their registered VAT number. They can allow backers to kind of sign up for in, an, an insurance policy, which you have to have in order to um, ship product into the EU and all sorts of other stuff. Again, I'm kind of a, I feel like a little bit of a neophyte in this area. And I have smart people, people much smarter than me that are navigating me through. Oh my goodness, it's such a pain. And, you know, you you want to be able to deliver products to people that want them. It's just expensive to, you know, for a, for a small time creator, it's expensive both in monetary cost and time to hmm. just sell one unit. You're going to have to spend a few, a few thousand dollars. It would be nice if GameFound took a lot of that that time burden off and just made sure that you at least broke even by selling that, that one unit. Right. Um, yeah. So anyway, the, uh, they, they also added a thing about polls with hidden results. I think that's a good idea. Whenever you, you know, have a poll, the results should not be, you know, you shouldn't see the number one result because the natural inclination is to, um, is to pick that one. But I mean, it's not, a massive uh, thing. They also talk about different games they're they're putting up on, uh, you know, th that are coming up to GameFound next year. We've got Street Fighter Five, Elder Scrolls, Betrayal of the Second Era, and ba Batman: Escape from Arkham Asylum. That'll be cool. Um, some big projects, some big name projects. So we'll see. Um, but I'll say one other thing about GameFound is Alex Radcliffe is the uh, chief marketing officer of GameFound now, and they're actually publishing blog posts that have meaningful content like multiple times in a month. I mean, you've got this one that we're talking about was published on 1228. So in other news, we are still trying to resolve my Facebook ad account. We've got one final stab at this because you sort of exhausted all possibilities going with Facebook reps and back and forths. And um, I know, Andrew, maybe we'll t tell people, how did you hear about this troubleshooting issue? That we're we're going to try as, as our vain final attempt to <laughs> resurrect my ad account. Yeah. So the uh, the quick background is that Sean's um, primary Facebook account he um, spoke disparagingly about Amazon Lord of the Rings uh, or Rings of Power. <laughs> I seriously think that's why you got why you got in trouble. And um, he uh, probably was the final straw. Uh, maybe. So they ended up um, restricting his ability to advertise, which is a problem as that's his, that's our primary means of earning income. And so we had to, he had to use a backup account and the problem with, you know, using backup accounts is that they, you know, it's much more, it's much easier to appear as a, as a real human when you are, when you're on your primary account, you know? And so, the primary account that you interact with and that sort of thing. We have some redundancy in place, so we're still able to, you know, get all of the work done, but there are a few snags that are just so annoying. There was a, there was a story that I heard the the Meta Oculus 2 is a product owned again by Facebook that uses your Facebook account to kind of as the anchor to identify who you are and uh, so that you can make purchases of games on their on their their store. And the uh, the thing that I heard was that if you buy an Oculus and your account is restricted from advertising in any way, 
Uh, right now, Sean has this lingering. It's not even a suspension. It's just like a, you can't advertise um, like forever. But there's there's no real reason uh, why. Um, you know, it would. It, he's kind of in in the same position as somebody that would be like a, somebody that tries to take your account uh, from you. Yeah. So when your account gets hacked, you know, the first thing that happens is Facebook shuts off your ability to advertise because your, um, you know, your account's been compromised. So Sean's main account is kind of in that position where he's able to post on Facebook and interact in the crowdfunding nerds community, but not able to interact in, in ads. So what I was, what I heard was that using the, uh, Facebook or using the meta Oculus too, you, you buy that product you log in, you try to purchase something, you will be unable to make a purchase because you cannot access billing if your account is restricted from, from advertising because advertising and billing are, are kind of one and the same in Facebook Meta's uh, uh, system. So you get on the phone with Facebook support or with, I'm sorry, with Oculus support, which uh, the staff works for meta right and they will unwind that uh not for you we're trying this right now i actually purchased the meta oculus as a late christmas present and said why not let's just go for it it's you know really important that we get that account unwound if we can so this is we're in progress currently it's shipping somewhere probably in ireland right now yeah so we'll keep you posted whether this works or not. If it works, well then you know uh, a neat way of reactivating your account if you have the money to spare. <laughs> and if not, then at least we'll get some really funny videos of Sean turning and falling over and that sort of thing. Yeah. Right? <laughs> <laughs> well, cool. So I guess we could get into our main topic, which we didn't really go over, but I thought would be really beneficial for everybody that likes to listen to our podcast. And what that is, is marketing, how to get good at marketing, how to go from noob to pro in marketing, in marketing in, in its own way. It's just such a moving target that it's important to continue to learn and, and that sort of thing. So I figure what we would do is just give our advice. Um, if you wanted to get better at marketing, and I highly recommend that you do, then do these things. If you want to get better at marketing and you should, and you should want to uh, take the time to learn and eliminate distractions. So in this age, every, I mean, everything's vying for attention. And I think that it is very, very easy to say, my time is very busy. I don't have time for this. I don't have time for that. And you will spin your wheels at a hundred miles an hour and you will go nowhere. One of my favorite analogies is that I don't think I've ever shared this on the podcast is when somebody is, you know, I, I, I used to have a Mustang, a really nice car. I drove up to the snow and had to, you know, I was, I was parked on a hill. It was completely snow covered and I had to drive just probably about a hundred feet, uh, to get into the driveway. And, um, the, uh, the Mustang has really, really beautiful street tires that do not work very well in the snow. And what I found was that by, you know, when I, I, by gunning it a little bit, normally if you're not moving forward, you should, um, 
And well, I guess, I don't know. I don't want to dive too much into this analogy, but basically I tried to drive and I was going nowhere. My tires were spinning and the ice was not allowing, not allowing any traction. And so I thought as a, you know, um, young college student that I would just give it a little bit more gas. And I ended up moving backwards. My RPMs were right around three to 4,000. And I was actually moving backward at about five miles an hour. It was not helping. Uh, and what I, what I actually had to do is I had to stop. I had to go get my chains, put my chains on and drive really slowly. And I actually made forward progress. But, um, and I find that this is the way that humans actually are able to learn in order to, to really learn, you have to take the time to do it. It's a very purposeful thing. It's not something that you just happen to read an article online and, and now you're smarter, but we, uh, we get so much information shoved into our heads on a day-to-day -day basis now that you cannot retain it all. So most of the thoughts that you had yesterday, you will have today. 95% of your thoughts, statistically proven, day-to-day -day are the same. And so how do you have new thoughts? Um, of course, you can change your, your circumstances. Like if you were, you know, if you jumped into the ocean, I'm sure you'd have some different thoughts than if you were like in the middle of the Sahara Desert. But um, really, it's all about the people you talk to and the things you read. So I recommend, um, or, or the things, you, you know, in, in our podcast case, the things you're listening to right now. So, you know, if, if you're listening to our podcast, doing something else, you may not be retaining much of that information. Um, I understand people that do my favorite place to listen to a podcast is while driving. You know, I understand that sometimes we can't just stop and sit and meditate while listening to a podcast or something. Lives are, are too busy for that, but you really should take just simply like 15 minutes a day shut everything else off, lock yourself in a room and work to learn for 15 minutes where gain knowledge, reflect on that knowledge, take only 15 minutes every single day and you will be better for it. A little each day. If you have a busy schedule, definitely is how I get a lot of things done <laughs> that I wouldn't be able to do otherwise. And maybe jumping on the back of that process of learning, I would recommend picking up a, a book on logic. So one I would recommend is a book called Introduction to Logic by Kopi and Cohen. And it's sort of just a, it's, well, it's really an, uh, an academic introduction to logic. And the reason is, is because if you understand the principles of correct thinking, you can then leverage that in your marketing. It could also prevent you from using types of argumentation, which is not very convincing, might, might sound convincing, but and it might actually be incorporating some type of logical problem. So if you understand the, the, the basics of logic, it's going to help you in, in all of business and all of life. But I think particularly when it comes to marketing messaging, and yeah, I often see this with certain, and it's, it's helped me with my own marketing. It's like, oh, I could say that, but that's actually not necessarily true. And it's committing this logical fallacy. And I need to be careful that I don't, you know, I might need to change the messaging as a result of that. Now, if you were a bad actor, you could actually use this information to manipulate people. You could purposefully uh, include things which sound convincing, but actually they, there's some fun, like fundament, fundamental problem with what you're doing. So 
obviously this could be used in, in a way which we can come back to, but I, I do think it will help refine your message. Sometimes you hear things like, you often hear this with marketing messages. It's like, you know, I used to be on the streets. <laughs> I'm just obviously making this <laughs> absurd, but I used to be on the streets and then suddenly I did this one thing and I teach you how to do this. And then you can now be a multimillionaire too. And like, yeah. that's, that's a very common marketing technique that people do. And it's actually- Rags to riches. Rags to riches. But it, usually it's, it's, it's some, some form of, I did it so you can do it too. And that actually commits the fallacy known as a non sequitur. It does not follow. It does not if just because you can do it, it does not necessarily mean that I can do it. And I'm going to have the same results, the same. And that's why we as marketers want to be very careful to say, oh yeah, you know, we, we've you know, raised so much money for these people. We can do that for you. Well, we possibly could do it for you. What we do have is a tried process and you know, we've done this a couple of times, but to make any type of guarantee to people would be disingenuous and downright deceitful. Mm -hmm. If, if we were to, to do that. So, yeah, I think that there's, there's a little, uh, mini point here is that be, beware of guarantees. You know, a lot of, a lot of our prospective clients will are seeking guarantees. If I spend this much money with you, I want some kind of guarantee that I will, you know, that it'll be worth it. Right. And so what we can do is we can show a tried process where, you know, a hundred different case studies of, of clients that we've worked with have funded and overfunded and done very well and that sort of thing. But I actually, uh, I, I don't want to get too far into my list here, but it definitely touches another element of, of the list that I think is very um, relevant is that marketing is a moving target. That's actually my number five, but I guess I'll say okay. it's my number two now. Marketing is a moving target. You should fail fast and, and be willing to adjust your tactics. The worst thing that you can do is to fail slowly, like really slowly and waste years of your life slowly failing. I think that's one of the things that really scares people is they feel like this imposter syndrome is what I'm doing working. I, I feel like a failure. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about spending money, pouring money into something that is not, I'll say like, you know, if you were going to bet on a horse race and one of the participants was a dog, I will tell you unequivocally, do not bet that the dog will ever win. You should never do that. And there's some people that that's kind of what they're doing, you know, that they have a, a bad uh, product or a bad marketing company that they're working with or a bad, uh, you know, whatever it is, be willing to, to recognize failure, accept failure and, and change your tactics. If a particular, you know, for me, if a particular marketing message is not really working that well, be willing to look at the data and admit that to yourself and then change search for, you know, that's what we do in, in marketing all the time with AB testing. You should fail, be willing to fail a lot on your road to success. And in order to do that, you need to fail quickly and you need to adjust your tactics. You need to kind of examine why are you failing and adjust your tactics. So back to what Sean said, where we have a client that, oh, you know, we raised um, $500,000 for distilled or $559,000 for distilled, which was a first time creator. And now with deliverance, we raised $314,000, which was also a first time creator. It doesn't necessarily mean we can raise hundreds of thousands of dollars for you as a first time creator, because marketing is a moving target, 
what worked for them may not work for you. And so it's, you know, you have to be willing to change early on in order to, um, to, to succeed in marketing. Once you understand how to market things well, it can allow you to pivot all the more faster because you might want to start a new idea. You, you know, you don't invest lots into it, like start small and build up, but you might want to actually run some ads and to, to see how it does. And then you realize, well, the click-through rates are low. I'm finding it very difficult. I could probably get this to work, but it would be a lot more effort than I first anticipated. And then you can, you know, drop drop the project or whatever, make tweaks to the project. So things like that can also be helpful. I think good marketing would just make a bad product fail faster. So mm-hmm. if you, <laughs> marketing marketing it, it could actually be a good way to determine if this even has legs to begin with, which could be very helpful. And just to come quickly back to the idea of studying logic not just helps with your marketing message, it also helps you come against backer objections because a lot of backer objections are not rational, but you need to be able to acknowledge them and then address them. So coming back to this idea of a non sequitur, things don't follow, it also works with backers, right? A backer could look at you and say, well, you've never created a Kickstarter, therefore you've never funded a game, so this is not going to fund. Well, that actually doesn't follow either. It'd be like me saying, well, you've never died, so therefore you're never going to die <laughs> in the future. You know, but understanding that 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 thought process, a prejudicial conjecture is a. So there, I think the idea of studying logic is not so that you understand all these terms; it's just so that you're familiar with the concepts, so that you can recognize mm-hmm. when they exist and then be able to address them. You're going to have yep. two problems in logic. You're going to have everything's going to either be arbitrary or inconsistency. So. That's going to be the two massive problems you're going to have to um, overcome. So it could be an arbitrary objection. We have to find a way to overcome that arbitrary objection, which has no basis in reality. And then inconsistency, there could be some type of internal inconsistency in the way someone's thinking about something or how you're thinking about something. But being being aware of these things and knowing how to articulate them, I think it's going to be helpful overall. Yeah, you know, I find that one, one element of logic that has really helped just to understand... I forget what this fallacy is called now, but it is the fallacy of this or that. You know, the the, be a false the dichotomy. Only, okay, false dichotomy. It's either this or that, and nothing. Well, else. It's, a, it's a complex question because it, sometimes it requires an additional thing. Like, yeah. have you stopped beating your wife? You know, like for the first question: Do you have a wife? And then, have you ever beat her? <laughs> and it's, it's a complex question. You know. Yeah. It's a way that people feed. Um, I, I see detectives on crime dramas always feeding people questions like that that assume things in the question. Yeah. So the next one that I had on my list is put what you're learning into action while you're learning it. So um, I took this sales course with actually with uh, one of my mentors that was on our podcast, Dan Bo. We did a two-part sales or a two-part uh, podcast on sales technique, which I think is so valuable for anybody that that listens to this podcast. Danbo has such knowledge and it was awesome to have him on uh, for two episodes just talking about selling stuff. But so I took one of his sales courses. I remember I was very early on in my uh, career as a uh, small business owner, entrepreneur. I was um, selling websites and I was networking and other things to try to find uh, work. And one of the people I met was Dan Bo, and he asked me, you know, how's everything going? And I'm, you know, I said, Hey, it's, it's going okay. I'm kind of struggling, but, um, you know, we're making ends meet right now. And he asked me if I wanted to do better and kind of challenged me in, in the, with the reasoning of, if you do things the way that you 
um, if you continue to do things the way that you're doing them now, how will things end up for you? And I re- I recognized that I needed to improve and I identified Dan as the guy that can help me do that. So I took a six week sales course from Dan and it was like an in-person training. This is back in, I want to say 2012 or, or so. And every week we would go over like three or four hours of just intensive studying examples, all sorts of, you know, interaction. It was a very, very powerful sales course. And he, uh, you know, just challenged us to work on the stuff that we were learning. We learned how to pitch our ideas and pitch uh, for for sales and other things like that. And it, it would have been very easy for me just to receive the information and wait until I had all the information to act. And I think that that is the way a lot of people think. And I think that's a huge mistake. You need to put what you're learning into action now, like while you're learning it, because it is going to teach you so much. You will retain so much information if you just simply try something. If you learn something from an article or learn something from our podcast or wherever it is, a Facebook group, and you try it, you will be able to ask better questions about that thing. You'll be able to refine your knowledge a whole lot more and you'll actually be able to understand. So, you know, there's, I mean, if you started out with no marketing expertise and I started talking to you about, you know, how to create a Facebook ad account, if you didn't even know what Facebook was, I mean, that would just be way too much information. But I mean, for a lot of people that listen to our podcast, most people, I would imagine, you know exactly what Facebook is. And so I'm not building this impossible line of understanding to, to, or I'm not, I'm, it's, it's not impossible to follow what I'm saying about, about that it, it, because you have a database of information built up that you can now reference in your brain about what I'm talking about. And I, I think that it's so, I would say probably the most important thing on my list, in my opinion, is to put what you're learning into action while you are learning it. I can't stress how important that is. If you actually want to get good at marketing, lose a little bit of money on Facebook ads, like try them, you know, and you, you should at least know enough to be dangerous. If you work with an agency like ours, you know, we're going to put money into Facebook ads and we know what we're doing on that front and, and all, but you should kind of know what we're doing too. I think, you know, you should um, have enough information and, and experience to at least be able to, to, to know if what we're doing is right and good as a business owner. I think that's very important. And Thankfully, we have a, a course coming out soon, which will be dropping in by the time you're listening to this, about two weeks' time, the 16th of January. So if you're interested in that, then make sure to join our email list and you get notified as soon as that's live. And that will be a useful tool for you. My number four is to learn by studying others and other clients. So, um, you know, in, in the case of the uh, Crowdfunding Nerds uh, course, you can learn by studying us and what, what it is that we do at a more intensive uh, you know, level. But I find that you know, even just listening in a Facebook group to what other people are doing mm. is extremely helpful. You know, yeah. I love when people share what it is they're doing, like Jasper, Galen McCown. Um, there are others that are that are doing blogs on you know marketing or what I learned from my last Kickstarter or other things like that that are very valuable. Even if they do something, I know recently you sent me an article on someone who's marketing a video game and they, they, it was a very detailed article exactly what they did to market their game. And 
I could see problems in what they were doing, but there was enough there to to latch on. It's like, oh, that this is interesting. This is something that can be used. So, you know, even if you do read what someone else did, you'll probably be able to see, oh, I could improve upon what they did or take an element of what they did and incorporate it into what I'm doing. And so it can still be helpful like that. So don't feel like th- that person has to be a, a marketing expert. You can pretty much learn from anyone. And if, if they've done something that has worked, well then, you know, use it <laughs> or try it at least. Yeah, totally. I mean, we stand on the shoulders of giants as, as the saying goes. Um, the only reason that we're able to do this is because, you know, we, we've learned from people that have more experience or are further ahead than us. And, and t- talking about standing on the shoulders of giants, <laughs> I, I would recommend picking up and reading a book called Propaganda by Edward Bernays. And that is a, a book that every marketer should read because it really marks the beginning of modern mar- marketing. I think Bernays was an evil genius. <laughs> uh, he definitely tapped into something and influenced how a lot of modern marketing works today. As I said, you want to study these things, not because you necessarily want to implement s- some of this information, but you want to be aware of it and make sure that maybe you're not doing some of these things. Um, he has a famous quote. He says, this is the conscious and intelligent manipulation of the organized habits and opinions of the masses is an important element in democratic society. Those who manipulate this unseen mechanism of society constitute an invisible government, which is the true ruling power of our country. So that shows you how powerful marketing messaging can be. He, he basically said that you actually can control nations and, and their patterns and be- their behavior if you're able to successfully market certain messaging to them in a way that's convincing. Um, so that's a very interesting book. And what it will teach you is the real foundations to marketing where like, he kind of goes deep. He gives an example of how like a fabric company wanted to sell like a certain fabric. And what they didn't try to do is try to sell that fabric. They went to fashion designers and basically did this marketing campaign where they, they made a certain type of shoe that uses this certain type of fabric, fashionable. And then they got it in high street and and that's how... Uh, it became into fashion. Women then wanted those shoes. Women then bought those shoes, and then they sold more of that fabric by going that route. So it kind of sh- shows you that there's, if you think kind of an, on a foundational level, a deeper way of marketing your game. Well, there might be an avenue to do it, which isn't as direct as 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 you're thinking. So this is why I yeah. think you know we covered the Washington Post, where that kind of helps market all board games because if you have a, a big news site that's covering board games, well, it gets more people into the space. And that's something that we could all do. And that's why everyone should really be promoting articles like that because it's going to ultimately help you market your game in the future. And I think that's, if you understand this idea of propaganda and how it works on a marketing level, it can be uh, to your advantage. But I think this is where I'd, I'd kind of, when to continue from this line of train of thought is that marketing is not manipulation. And I think that's, that's one of the dangers is you can start learning all these things like, Oh, now I can manipulate people make them take actions and do things they wouldn't do otherwise. And I, I think that's, that's how bad actors use marketing, their marketing skills. I don't think that's the role of a, a genuine marketer. I think a genuine marketer is trying to connect people with things that they would do without any of your input. So there's an, an element of ethics and mora- morality that we want to be careful that we, we don't we don't cross. Um, so sometimes, you, you know, you can read Bernays and it's like, this guy's an evil genius. But like, I'm not necessarily, not necessarily saying that you should implement his strategies. I just think you should be aware of them. And then obviously 
incorporate the positive elements of what he's saying because there's obviously a very sinister elements that can be used you know he's basically saying free democratic societies don't exist because marketers control what people actually believe and they can kind of dictate what happens in society which is kind of a crazy <laughs> crazy yeah. thing to think about but i suppose that's what you know dictators and sort of power hungry people think about <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's 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 intense. Yeah, there is a dark side to marketing. And I do think that propaganda is really it's marketing. Um, but also, you know, there are really, I think, two different types of marketing that, you know, in the mind of most people. One is what I call the used car salesman, where no, mm. not trying to offend any used car salesmen that are listening to this podcast. But, you know, they a lot of used car salesmen have a reputation for trying to sell you a lemon that they just need to get off the lot. Uh, they need to sell a bad car to you. They're going to pour sand in the, in the oil tank or whatever. So that, you know, the pinging sound goes away long enough for you to drive it off the lot and drive it around for a few days. And then you find out that the car is totally jacked, you know, when you bring it to the mechanic and it, by that time it's, you know, you've, you've already purchased it and you're really upset about your purchase but you can't do anything about it now because you were already sold to and there are no refunds, right? We do not like doing marketing like that. I think I, I adopt um, Seth Godin's marketing philosophy. He actually has a book called This Is Marketing. You can't be seen until you learn to see. I think, you know, just in general, one of his quotes that I've really latched onto is that marketing is honesty. Marketing is honesty. It's not about trying to convince somebody to buy something. It's about helping somebody understand that, you know, they're the right type of person that would love your product. You're not trying to turn somebody who's not, let's say, not a board gamer at all into a board gamer, but you're trying to help somebody understand, let's say somebody loves board games. They absolutely love distilling um, their own whiskey. You know, I would, I would absolutely point them toward distilled as, as a game. Um, I had, uh, you know, the real estate agent that helped, or that sold, uh, that, that helped me purchase my house. They loved going camping and um, going on, you know, every vacation they took, they would take their, their camper and, you know, they would go hiking and all that. So I recommended that they would try out parks, which is a game about visiting national parks. And it's got a lot of really beautiful art of the various national parks and, uh, you know, in the United States. And, um, they had never played a board game in their life and they bought that and they played it like twice a day, every single day for a month. And they were so appreciative that I told them about this game. They loved it. And they bought scythe. And before you know it, they had purchased every, all, all of the accessories for scythe they've got, you know, they try to get into like miniature painting to paint the metal mech miniatures that come with Scythe. And, and that was all because I introduced a game that I thought they would really enjoy. And it turns out they really did. If you ever need a game recommendations, go to Andrew. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They loved their purchase. They loved me for recommending that. And now I'm an authority source in my real estate agent's life on what games they should get, what games they should try, what games they should purchase for other people. And and that sort of thing. And that's just, that's really how in particular the board game industry, also the video game industry kind of works where you, you know, anything in entertainment, 
the best source of marketing is people telling other people, right? Because they were excited about the product. And um, we love to help others just, you know, have the same experience that we had, or we, we love to help others find something that they would love. Um, that's the way I, looking, I look at marketing is that you, you're not trying to, you know, get people that don't want the thing to all of a sudden change and want the thing, but you want people that don't want the thing to say that they don't want the thing as quickly as possible so that you can move on to the person that does and spend your time with the person that does want the thing. So that's why we build, that's why we, we, we send uh, Facebook ads out to a large swath of people. A lot of them don't want what it is that we're advertising, but some of them do. And Facebook ads are one of the greatest ways to find and, and segment those people because the people who don't want it will not click. The people who do want it are the ones that click and they go and read the stuff on the website and we further qualify those people into those uh, that are really interested in getting more information. And that's where that's why the email list is so valuable because you are talking to people who want to hear from you. They want to know more about your stuff. They're they're debating on whether or not they're going to buy your thing because they really liked it at one point and they just need more information. They you know they're they're they need to maybe prepare for it and all of that. And that's what the email list does. It kind of warms them up and brings them along and you get them into your communities and, and that sort of thing. And you're really just kind of celebrating a really wonderful product with people that are like-minded. That's what I love. And I, I think that's actually more um, what I would call tribal marketing. You're building a tribe of people that can all celebrate this thing that you made. And I, I think that's a very, very powerful way to, uh, to work in marketing. The key is caring about people. And recognizing that there are people, one of the dangers of digital marketing is because your sort of KPIs are di digitized. It's like, oh, we got a lead, we got a sale. And you kind of look at them as like binary numbers. And the, this is like on a screen is digitized. And actually those represent real people with emotions who are far larger than just a number on a screen. And I think when you recognize that, that, that you're actually dealing with human beings, with people who have families, who uh, not only that can can they don't just sit there right they if they get excited in the right ways they're going to be telling their friends so if you invest in people and you care about your people i think that's where the marketing really snowballs um you know we've often said that your community has eventually becomes your marketing force or the, the bulk of it and that can be leveraged in, in so many different ways like i was just reading an article this week of how someone really capitalized their marketing efforts on things that were going viral. So he reached out to an influencer, that influencer tweeted his game, and then that kind of got lots of tweets. And then he used that as leverage to find a go to press and like, oh, by the way, uh, this tweet's going viral. And then, then they wrote an article and then he used the, the article and, and the influencer and he just he kept on going back and he was able to snowball the excitement around his game because as he did that, more and more people, so it became like a self-feeding mechanism. And you can do that if you have a community. You can say, hey, everyone, go and, you know, review my game on Steam or, or whatever. And I can then boost it in the algorithm or go comment on, on this YouTube video um, that's going to boost it in the YouTube algorithm, whatever. You can do so many different things once you have that community, once you can leverage it. I, I agree that you treat them, you treat your audience like people. In return, they'll treat you the same way. So um, people will care about you as much as you care about them. 
And if you treat them as a dollar sign, they'll treat you that way. And uh, so I definitely agree with that. And my, my final point on this list is to put yourself in the shoes of your customer. I wrote in parentheses, know thy customer. Um, I'm circling that right now because it's such a big deal on my own little notes. Know thy customer. The, the things that your customer cares about, those are the things that, that you need to, I mean, you need to know. If you're going to market to them, you're going to talk to them about why they should care about something. You should probably ask them why they care about something and then use that information to share with others. I remember, you know, as I was developing deliverance, I would talk to people about all the things I thought was really cool about the game. And that's a great place to start, but you need to figure out what actually moves the needle for people and what doesn't. One thing that I was very surprised about on, um, on our uh, character cards, it's, it's a, um, it looks like a pretty complex game, but all of the things that you can do are on your character card, all of the actions you can do. And that actually really simplifies you know, really simplifies the game for people. You're not having to look at a quick reference card or look into the rule book for what it is that you can do. You're actually just looking at your character card for all the things you, your character can do. And it's super duper easy. And I was actually surprised to hear that very experienced gamers were really excited about that because a lot of games are like, Hey, here's all your character card with your special abilities. And don't forget, you have these nine basic actions that you can take, you know, as well. So like moving and attacking and other things are not defined on your character card. And so I started to kind of lean into that and share it with people. And others found that that was really cool. I, it turns out that I was, uh, you know, not as educated on these types of tactical combat, skirmish, adventure games um, as others were. And just by listening to them, it made a huge difference on marketing. Um you know, and, and just by getting people excited about the, the things that they cared about, not the things I wanted to tell them, but the things that they wanted to hear. When the things that you want to tell someone is different than the thing they want to hear, it doesn't work out very well. So you can actually ask your customers. I think it's, you know, polling and just simply having a conversation with one person can make a huge difference. You know, like, why do you like this game? What are you excited about? And you, you would probably be greatly, your marketing would be greatly enhanced if you, if you had a few of those conversations with your, with your uh, fans. Well, hopefully you guys had a uh, great time listening to this podcast. And um, if you have any tips, I would really encourage you guys to share them in the uh, crowdfunding nerds community. I think that it would be awesome to have a conversation about this because a lot of us that listen to this are, you know, self-taught and really trying to make it in, in uh, the industry or with our uh, particular products and and whatnot on crowdfunding and it would be a lot of fun to uh to, to engage on that and i guess we'll have uh robot richard send us out <laughs> <laughs> well that's all the time we have for this week's episode of crowdfunding nerds for more resources articles and to listen to past podcasts please visit us at crowdfundingnerds.com thank you all again for listening to this week's episode and we'll see you next week stay nerdy